We thank you that you're a good father and that we're loved by you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're secure in your love for us. Father, we thank you for your unfailing love. Hallelujah. For your everlasting love. Hallelujah. For your mercy that endures forever over our lives. Father, we thank you for that tonight. Lord, we thank you that you've written us a love letter and that's your word. And we thank you, Father, as we open it and as we receive it tonight. Father, I thank you that that you give us understanding, that you give us revelation concerning your word, your truth, your character, and who we are in you. We thank you for that tonight, Father, in Jesus' name. And everyone that agreed said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. It's good to see you out tonight. Praise the Lord. We're, anybody know what we're doing on Wednesday night? Yeah, study on the book of Ephesians. Praise God. And so, just in the way of review, uh, the book of Ephesians is, of course, it's a letter that, uh, to the church at Ephesus written by the Apostle Paul. And um, you, can, and you can read about it in, in Acts chapter 19, where Paul goes to uh, the city of Ephesus, which is Ephesus was the major, the main city uh, in a region called Asia Minor. At the, at the time in the Bible, it was known as Asia but it's what we know now as Asia Minor. It's modern-day Turkey and uh, it's that, that area. And Ephesus was the main city there. It was a port city. And it was a very wicked city, uh, very, a lot of perversion and wickedness and ungodliness there. <coughs> and he went there to take the gospel, praise God, to shine the light of God there. Amen. And so a great work of God takes place. He stays about three years there. Miracles take place. Incredible things happen. The church it begins with, with him going and, and, and speaking to 12 men, just 12. And, uh, and they get saved and they get filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. And um, it grows from there to, to uh, the Bible says after that, after that three-year period that all the people that lived in Asia or Asia Minor heard the word of the Lord both Jews and Greeks, so the, everybody there heard, heard the gospel, and, uh, which is a great, uh, a great witness and a great thing that happened there. Um, the Bible also says in Acts 19 there that the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed Amen. over all the wickedness and perversion and evil that was in Ephesus. It says the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed there. So praise God. If, if God could do that, then he can do it today. Amen. All we have to do is do what Paul did and faithfully preach the gospel. Amen. And the, and, and the word of God. Praise God. And uh, so we, as we study this, so, so, <coughs> so Paul is there for about three years and then he leaves. And uh, about six years uh, after that, uh, five or, between five and six years, by this time he's in prison in Rome and he writes a letter back to the church at Ephesus. And that's what we have now as the book of Ephesians. And as we study this book, we see that it's neatly divided. Uh, six chapters, of course, Paul didn't write it in chapter and verse. The translators did that separately, but I think they did a pretty good job uh, in, in dividing it out for us to study it and, and read it. The first three chapters or the first half of the of the book or the letter that he wrote to them is positional truth. It's what it's what God did for us in Christ and His death and resurrection and seating at the right hand of the Father. And it's, it's how we're identified with that and what God has done for us and what God has made us to be because we are in Christ. The first three chapters talk about that and then that, what we call that positional truth. And then the last three chapters, chapters 4, 5, and 6, talk a lot about, okay, Let's take, let's take who we are in Christ and what God has done for us in Christ and, and let's apply that to our daily living. Let's apply that to the marriage relationships. Let's apply that to, to work relationships. Let's apply that to getting along with and, and relating to one another within the church and within the church family. So uh, that's, talk, that's what's talked about and discussed in chapters 4, 5, and 6. And so... Uh, so there's two great prayers also that we have noted uh, in the book of Ephesians that Paul prayed. He said, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you believers in Ephesus. One of them we've looked at extensively, but we'll read it again tonight. 
and start there. And then we'll get to the second prayer, which we find in chapter 3, which we're going to cover chapter 3 tonight. But we'll start in chapter 1 with the prayer that, that Paul prays for them, beginning in verse 15 of Ephesians 1. He says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That, that tells us he's praying for them continually. You know, there's a, there's a kind of praying that we just pray. One, the prayer of faith, when you're praying a prayer for your own situation, your own needs, that's a prayer you pray one time and you believe you receive it. But this is a different kind of praying. And he said, I'm praying. He said, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And here's what he prays in verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that's named, not only in this age, but also on that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all, and it's hard to know where Paul finishes praying and starts writing the letter and teaching again. But uh, it's, all, it's all powerful stuff here. He says, I'm praying for you that you would know, that your eyes would be open and that you would know certain things, that you would know the hope of his calling, that you would know about the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And I like this one, that you would know what is the exceeding greatness of his power that is toward us who believe. And he said it's the same, same and it's according to the working of his mighty power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So resurrection power, God has released resurrection power toward us who believe. Amen. Praise God. And that, and that same resurrection power is going to do exactly that for us, one day, Paul writes to the Romans and he says, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and he's going to quicken your mortal body. So one day that resurrection power, if, if Jesus, well, if Jesus comes back while we're still living, that resurrection power is going to transform us. And we're going to be caught up. If you happen to, uh, to die physically before the Lord comes, your body's put in the grave or wherever. When Jesus comes back, that resurrection power is going to raise that body up. And another thing uh, th that I believe we can, that we can apply as well from that is that resurrection power can quicken or heal our bodies. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. And if, he, if that same spirit's in us, it, if it raised Christ from the dead, it surely it can heal our bodies. Amen. Amen. Praise God. All right. So... So this is not a low-level prayer that he's praying. It's an amazing prayer. It's, again, it's about our eyes being opened. It's about us understanding and knowing who we are in Christ, what our position is, what our inheritance is, and the power and the authority that we have in him. And um, the second prayer uh, that Paul prayed is found in chapter 3, which we're going to get to tonight. And so let's go to chapter 3 and uh, start there. We've covered through chapter 2 in our previous session. So Chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. And I'll stop right there. And notice Paul calls himself a prisoner of who? A prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. Now, at the time he wrote this, he actually was literally in prison in Rome. But he didn't see himself as a prisoner of the Roman Empire. He didn't see himself as a prisoner of the Roman govern government. He saw himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Amen. Praise God. And you know, if he, if he saw himself the other way, he could have got depressed about that. 
If he saw him and said, well, man, I'm, I'm, I was out here. I was trying to preach the gospel, and now I can't do that. They've got me in prison. I'm so frustrated. I'm so discouraged. I'm so down about this. I'm, in, I'm, I'm under bondage to Rome. But see, he turned the whole thing around, and he said, hey, I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. You, you can't keep a man down who turns the equation around that way. And he says, look, I'm a, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I am, I am bound to Jesus. Hallelujah. And I love it. We should see ourselves as prisoners of Christ Jesus. Amen. And I uh, said, so I don't want to be a, only a prisoner of anybody. Well, if you're a prisoner of him, then you're truly free. Amen. And so he says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And he said, I'm, I'm, I'm being such for you Gentiles. In other words, what he's saying is, he says, I've embraced the calling that God has given me. And as I've embraced this calling that God has given me to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, yeah, I ended up in prison here, but I'm not going to let that stop me. I'm writing you a letter. And after I finish this one, I'm going to write a letter to the church at Colossae. And, you know, and after I finish that one, I'm going to, I've got some letters to my, to my son in the faith, Timothy, that I need to write. And uh, so he didn't let that stop him. In fact, the Bible says, if you read in Acts 28, the Bible says that, that he brought, that people came to him. He had his own rented quarters and people came to him and he shared the gospel with them right there in his home uh, and it, and that, that he was in how, uh, really under house arrest. So he didn't let anything stop him from, uh, from sharing the gospel. Amen. But, he, but again, he says, he says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. And so uh, he knew that Jesus had called him to go to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish world with the gospel. And uh, we see that, we see him talking about that in Acts 26. So we'll go and look at that for a moment. And he's recounting before King Agrippa, he's recounting his, his experience where, where he's at the time persecuting the church. He's on the way to Damascus and he has this encounter with the Lord Jesus. Uh, it's a bright light. Uh, he hears the voice of the Lord and, and here's part of what the Lord told him. He's recounting this years later to King Agrippa. But he says, here's what he heard him say, but rise and stand on your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you've seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. So we're going to get a clue there of what we're going to be looking at in a moment here. So this is, this is, he's recounting what Jesus said to him that day on the road to Damascus when he knocked him off his horse. <laughs> All right. And he said, he said, I'm, I'm going to, I'm appointing you. I'm making you a minister and a witness of the things which you've seen already and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. In other words, he said, I, there's some things I'm going to reveal to you, Paul, and you're going to be a witness to those things. You're going to proclaim those things. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. So he tells him right there, you're sent to the Gentile world, to the non-Jewish world, all right? To do what? Verse 18, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You know, that happened to you at some point in your life. Amen. Your eyes were opened and you turned from darkness to light. You turned from the power of Satan to God and you uh, received forgiveness of sins. And not only did you receive forgiveness, but you received an inheritance. He said that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Praise God. We receive forgiveness of sins by faith and we receive an inheritance by faith. And now our job is to do the same thing that Paul did, to share the gospel with people in order to open their eyes so that they would turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Praise God. Bible tells us that, that without Christ, we're all under the power of Satan. But when our eyes are opened and when we call on the name of the Lord, Satan has, has no ability to hold us in his power. We're translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Praise God. 
So again, Paul was literally in a Roman prison, but he considered himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Praise God. And so he starts his prayer back in Ephesians 3, verse 1. He says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles... And, and he picks up that same statement in verse 14. It goes back to for this reason. And so everything that he says after verse 1 all the way to verse 14 is, oh, wait a minute, before I start praying for them, I need to tell them this. He's, look at what he, let's read through it again. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. And then he pauses in verse 2. He says, uh, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me. Remember, Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, and he said, you're going to be a minister and a witness of the things that you've seen and the things I'll yet reveal to you. Right? We, We just pointed that out. Okay. So here he's talking about that. How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read... You may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So what he's written to us in chapter one and chapters one and two is part of that revelation and that mystery. Verse five, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the spirit to his holy apostles and prophets that the Gentiles, there's part of the mystery that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Now, that's kind of wordy a little bit and maybe a little bit hard to understand, so we're going to come back and look at it in the New Living, and then we're going to look at it in the uh, Message Bible as well. But first, I I want to focus in on what he says back in verse 3 where he says, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, all right? And so he talks about that in the book of Galatians. Let's go to, we'll go to Galatians chapter 1 and verse 11 and 12. And this is in the New Living as well. He says, dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source. And no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. We have, you know, we have the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the writers of those four Gospels were, for the most part, were eyewitnesses. Matthew was one of the disciples. John was one of the disciples. Mark was not one of the twelve, but he uh, was was around during that time, and then and then Luke uh, didn't get it directly, but he but he compiled his account from from what Peter and others had told him, but but they were all reporting the what what they saw Jesus do, what they heard Jesus teach, and all of those things. And we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but the revelation that Jesus gave to Paul. A lot of it had to do with what happened in his death, in his crucifixion, in those three days and nights that he was in the tomb, and then in his resurrection, what, and what was happening in the spiritual realm in all of that. And we see that in, in, in what, he, what he wrote in chapters 1 and 2 of Ephesians, and we see it throughout all the letters that Paul wrote. Uh, and and it's, it's all of that about who we are in Christ, what God has done for us, what the, in, in, in Colossians he writes about that he spoiled principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in the cross. He talks about him stripping Satan of his authority and, uh, and all of those things. Uh, we, that, that's the revelation that Jesus gave to Paul directly that he's talking about here. He said, I di- it didn't come from human reasoning. He says, I received, verse 12, I received my message from no human source. No one taught me. I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. Praise God. Now let's go back to Ephesians again. And we'll pick up in verse 2. 
He says, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility. The uh, New King James that we read says the dispensation. Okay, so this makes it a little bit clearer. God gave me the special responsibility of extending His grace to you Gentiles. He was the, 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 the chief apostle to the Gentiles. He, he kind of spearheaded the gospel going to the Gentiles. And so he's talking about that. He said, God gave me the special responsibility of extending His grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God Himself revealed His mysterious plan to me. As you read what I've written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now, by His Spirit, He has revealed it to His holy apostles and prophets. And this, is verse 6, and this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Well, up until this time, the understanding was, and it was true, that the Jews were God's special people. And that's, that is true. And God still does have a plan for the Jewish people today. But, but Paul is saying, look, God's doing something new now. And so it's not just the Jews that are his special people, but it's anyone who believes in Jesus. They're included in the covenant. And when Jew or Gentile believes the gospel and believes in Jesus, they're brought in to this new thing that God has done Call the church, praise God, and they share in the same inheritance. That's what he's talking about here. He says both, Jew, both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. And just let me clarify something here. All right, so, so what about the Jewish people now? Yes, God has a plan for them. Yes, God is working that plan. We see that. But do they need to get saved? Yes, they do. They need to, in order, in order to uh, come into the fullness of God's plan, they, and they will eventually. Uh, the Bible says all Israel will be saved. So I don't know that that means every single one, but, but the biggest, the huge majority of them will. And, and, and many of them, some of them are now. And we're coming to that time. In the last days, the end times, there are scriptures and prophecies that talk about that, that they will be. This is not saying that just the Jews are okay right now. They don't need Jesus. Uh, the Gentiles that receive Jesus now get in on the same thing that the Jews have now. No. We, Jew or Gentile that believes on Jesus, we come into this special thing called the church, into the new covenant, into the fullness of God's plan. Hallelujah. Does that make sense? I hope. All right. Praise God. All right. So he says here, uh, this is God, verse six, it's God's plan. Both are part of the same body. Both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. Verse seven, by God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. It is a privilege to serve God. It is a privilege to spread the good news. Amen. Praise God. All right. Back in verse 5, I want to point something out that he says there. He says, God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now, by His Spirit, He has revealed it to His holy apostles and prophets. And uh, this ties in with something that we talked about in our last session, which we had the movie last week, so our last session here was two weeks ago. Um, this is referring to what Ephesians 2, what in Ephesians 2, he calls the, the foundational apostles and prophets. So let's, let's read that one. Ephesians 2.20, that says, having been, and let me help you there since we're just picking up one verse in the middle of a thought here. If we add the words, the church as a house or a temple, that's what he's talking about. We are the church. The church is a body. But then he also says the church is God's house, God's temple, right? Okay. God doesn't live in a physical building anymore. We are his temple, a living temple. Praise God. All right. And so the church, this, this temple, 
is, is, he says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So Jesus is the chief cornerstone, the apostles and prophets that were the ones who laid down New Testament doctrine. Uh, those are the foundational apostles and prophets, and that's who he's talking about here back in Ephesians uh, 2 and verse 5, where he says that God has revealed his plan to the holy, uh, that's been revealed through the holy apostles and prophets. Go back to verse 5 for a second there, Mike, Ephesians 2, 3, 5, yeah. Uh, it says, by his spirit, he's revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. These would be the same as, as the foundational apostles and prophets. And remember, we shared with you out of uh, Brother Hagin's book, he gave gifts unto men, where Jesus appeared to him in 1987, and he talked to him about uh, some of these things, about apostles and prophets and about their roles. And the Lord said there were, uh, told him that, that there were uh, foundational apostles and prophets that, that, again, that like Paul, like John, like James, that laid the foundation of New Testament doctrine. And he said there's nobody in that category now because the, because the Bible's not still being written. It's except, except the book of Acts. And let me explain that too. The book of Acts, we're not going to add any chapters to the book of Acts, but, we, but, but the acts of the Holy Spirit through the church still should be going on. All right, that's what I mean by that. There's no new doctrine that needs to be added. We've got everything we need in the Bible right here, okay? No other, no, no further, no further doctrine uh, needs to be added in that regard. Those foundational apostles and prophets laid that foundation, all right? And that's what Paul's referring to there in, in verse 5. All right, so now let's go forward uh, to Ephesians 3 and verse 8. We're switching back to the New King James again here. He says, to me, and look at how he describes himself, who am less than the least of all the saints. This grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, think about that. Uh, Paul, he just had got through telling them that the gospel that he preached, uh, that he got it by revelation. And that God, and, and God gave him the special assignment to take the gospel to the Gentile world. And he gave him, he gave him special revelation. But instead of being puffed up in pride about that, he refers to himself as less than the least of all the saints. And he says, and he said, the reason I'm doing this is because grace was given to me. I'm not doing it because God looked at me and said, oh, wow, you are the, you are the sharpest one in the bunch. You know, you're the pick of the litter. You know? uh, no, he said, I'm doing this because grace was given. It's God's purpose. It's God's grace. He said, I didn't earn it. And he said, I'm the less than the least of all the saints. But God gave me grace that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Praise God. And uh, so he's walking in humility here in spite of Jesus choosing him, giving him special direct revelation. He wasn't prideful about it. And he called this message that he, that he preached, he says, he, call, he says, I've been called to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Praise God. That's what we have in the gospel. That's what we have in the New Testament. That's what we have in this revelation that God gave to us. It's not just some little dinky, okay, yeah, you know, your sins can be forgiven and we might let you go to heaven. It is the unsearchable riches of Christ. Hallelujah. That's what we have. Amen? Amen. Praise God. And that's why we need to pray that our eyes are open to it. Praise God. And he says in verse, uh, there in verse number nine, he says, and to make all men see. That's the assignment that I have to make all men see. In other words, to, 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 to help open people's eyes, to make all men see what is the fellowship. Another word for fellowship is sharing uh, or what their part is. All right. Of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus. It was a mystery hidden, he says, but now it's revealed and he said, my job is to make all men see what their part is, what their place is, 
that, that they have an inheritance in this. And they've got, and they're included in this. If they'll simply believe, praise God. If they'll simply receive it and believe it. Verse 10, to the intent that now, and this is, this is amazing here. To the intent that now, in other words, the intent means the purpose. This was God's intent, or this is what God wanted to happen, right? To the intent, so they said, this is, this is why God did this, that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. How? What's the next three words? By the church. Who's the church? We are. So, so we have the assignment now. It's God's intent that now his manifold wisdom might be made known by us, through us, demonstrated through us, revealed through us to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. What in the world does that mean? That means that when we take our place in Christ, when we understand who we are in Christ, and when we begin to exercise our authority in Christ, then the principalities and powers are going to say, whoa, wait a minute. Remember what Paul said and wrote in 1 Corinthians? He said, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age understood, for had they understood, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And so they said, oh, we got Jesus now. All the demons did. And uh, when they, when they uh, had, had moved on the Pharisees and Pilate to get together and crucify him, good, we've won, we've killed him. Three days later, he's raised from the dead. They thought, okay, well, I guess we didn't kill him. But what does all that really mean? Well, Jesus raised from the dead. We're born again. Jesus delegates authority to us. And when now we begin to act like Jesus, when we begin to exercise the authority over those principalities and powers, just like Jesus did, then they said, oh, now we see the trap we fell into. And the manifold wisdom of God is made known by the church, by us, walking in who we are in Christ, using our authority in Christ. When we do, we, by the church, we're making that known to the principalities and powers. Hallelujah. What a great job we have. What a great assignment we have. Amen? Amen. To get to do that. Praise God. All right. Uh, <coughs> God's, uh, let's see. So let's go to, um, let's keep reading here. All right. Verse 11, according to the eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord, which he did what? Which he accomplished, done. He accomplished it. Jesus said, it's finished. Amen. When he was on the cross, according to the eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you, I ask that you do not lose heart. At my, don't feel sorry for me that I'm sitting here in this prison in Rome. Don't lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Praise God. He said, I'm, he said all this is a... Your, God, God's going to bless you because of all of this. Amen. All right, so let's, re, let's go back and read this in the, the New Living again, back in verse 10 that the manifold wisdom of God is to be revealed, demonstrated by the church to the principalities and powers. Here's how it reads in the New Living. God's purpose in all, all this was to use the church to display His wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was His eternal plan, which He carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Praise God. So God's purpose was to use the church. He wants to use us to display his wisdom to the principalities and powers. Amen. The unseen rulers and authorities. Uh, verse 12, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Praise God. What a, what a 
What a revelation that is. Hallelujah. God, you you shouldn't hang your head in shame. If you have come to Jesus, if you've asked him to forgive you of your sins, he's washed them away. And because of what he did and because of our faith in him, not, not in my faith and my ability to do everything just perfect, but my faith in him, I can come boldly and confidently into God's presence now. Every believer can. Amen? Praise God. That's the way we should approach him, with boldness and with confidence. That's reiterated in many other places in Paul's writings. That we can, In Hebrews, it says we can come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy to find grace to help in the time of need. Praise God. Now, let's read, read this in the Message Bible. And this is near and dear to my heart because I think I've shared this with you before. And if you've read my book, this is in the very beginning of my book because this is a word that a dear saint that was in the church here, uh, Miss Ann Brown, uh, she was a, a, a great woman of prayer. And uh, she had a word, of uh, a, a prophetic word that she wrote down and she gave to me several years ago. I guess it's been about seven years ago now or maybe a little bit longer. Um, Gave this to me and she said, this is God's word to Pastor David is how she titled it at the top. And it was this passage of scripture. All right. And, And here's what it says. This is my life work, helping people understand and respond to this message. It came as a sheer gift to me, a real surprise. God handling all the details. When it came to presenting the message to people who had no background in God's way, I was the least qualified of any of the available Christians. God saw to it that I was equipped. But you can be sure that it had nothing to do with my natural abilities. And so here I am preaching and writing about things that are way over my head. The inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ. My task is to bring out in the open and make plain what God, who created all this in the first place, has been doing in secret and behind the scenes all along. Through Christians like yourselves gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. Praise God. So um, that leads us in I just wanted to read that because I thought it was, I thought I love the way it's, it's worded in the message. And again, it's near and dear to my heart because it's a word that Miss Ann gave me. And it really resonates with me. And that's, that's you know, just confirmed uh, what I'm to pursue in the, in the last uh, stages. I'm not, I, I think it's going to be many years, amen, uh, of my ministry. But I'm focused. This is what I'm going to do. Praise God. Preaching and writing about things that are way over my head. <laughs> uh, the inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ. Helping people to understand and respond to the message. And that's what I plan to do until Jesus comes back. Amen. But the, let's get into now to the second. We'll finish up by, by the... Uh, this is the second prayer that Paul prays for them. And uh, so again, look at what he says in verse 14. For this reason... Now, go back to verse 1 for a second, Mike. Start at verse 1. Go all the way back to verse 1 in the, in the New King James, all the way back up to the top. That's where you'll have to go. You find it? There we go. No, back, uh, keep going all the way to the top. No, no, wait a minute. No, it's, it's after that one. I'm sorry. Ephesians 3.1 is what we're looking for in the New King. There we go. Look, see, so he starts out verse 1, and he says, For this reason... I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. And he's getting, ready to, he's getting ready to pray what we're about to read in verse 14 right there. And he thinks, oh, wait a minute, I need to tell you something. So all that we've talked about this evening is that, that he thought that was his, oh, wait a minute, I need to say this. All right. Now back to verse 14. So he, so he picks it up again all the way down to where you were just, just there we go. So he gets back to for this reason. Okay. So, okay. Here's, he said, oh, yeah, I remember I was starting to pray for y'all. Let me get back to that. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, 
that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Wow, what a prayer. So he prays for them. Ephesians 1, he's praying for them. Ephesians 3, he's praying for them again here. And these are both, both of these prayers are, are really prayers that you can pray and should pray over your own life and over yourself. And uh, these are prayers that I pray for you. When I, when I pray for you, I, I pull out the book of Ephesians and I pray if, that prayer in Ephesians 1 over you. I pray this prayer in Ephesians 3 over you. And uh, I love them both. I, I, I kind of like this one a little bit better, uh, I think. Uh, I mean, I don't know how you can, you know, choose a favorite. They're both, they're both spirit-inspired, divinely inspired prayers. But I like what he says here. Uh, let's, let's, uh, look at what he says in verse 15, first of all. He says, from whom, he says, I'm bowing my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, from whom, from the Father, he says, the whole family in heaven and earth, his name, E.W. Kenyon, has a book called The Father and His Family. I don't know if you've seen that one or not, but The Father and His Family. And that's what he's talking about right here. He says, I'm bowing my knee to the Father from whom the whole family in heaven and earth, his name. There's one family, the family of God, believers in Christ. Part of that family is in heaven. I mean, maybe... It, I'm sure, and we could all say this, we have, we have blood relatives, physical family that's in heaven, but we've got spiritual family. And every believer that's in heaven is part of our big spiritual family. Amen. Our brothers and sisters in Christ. Part of the family's in heaven. Part of the family's here on earth, but it's one family. It's one family. Amen. Praise God. All right. He says, I'm praying for you. He says in verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. So that's the number one thing that he prayed for them or the first thing that's mentioned here. He says, I'm praying for you that, that God would grant you and he would grant it out of the riches of his glory that you would be strengthened with might through his spirit in your inner man. I, is, that, is that something good, you think? Is that something you could use to be strengthened with might in your inner man? Amen. That you would be strengthened with might through His Spirit in your inner man. Verse 17, I'm praying that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, is He praying for them to get saved? They're already saved. They're already saved. And, they, and they've believed on Jesus through faith, right? By grace are you saved, he wrote to them in chapter 2. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. And we know that, that he said, you're God's workmanship, you're created in Christ Jesus. We know they're born again. But this is something more. He said, I'm praying that Christ would, would live in your heart through faith, that it wouldn't just be, okay, yeah, I got saved one day, that, that every day... And every moment you're conscious of the fact that Christ is in you, that he's living, dwelling in your heart through faith. That you, this next thing he prays for them, that you being rooted and grounded in what? In love. It's, it's interesting he chose love. He could, have, he could have prayed for them to be rooted and grounded in a lot of things. That you'd be rooted and grounded in holiness that you be rooted and grounded in truth, that you be rooted and grounded in power, but he chose love. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, then he, then he prays on here and says, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints. God wants all of this. This is not some secret society anymore that only a few can access. It's for everybody. That you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, that sounds like four dimensions to me, uh, to, uh, that you would comprehend 
the width, the length, and the depth and height of what? Of God's love. Because he goes on in the next verse to say, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, again, God lives in us, but he said, I'm praying that you be filled with that fullness. I'm praying that it not just be some experience that you had or some doctrine that you ascribe to, but I'm praying that your whole life be filled with the fullness of God. Would that be a good thing for us? If, our, if we were filled with all the fullness of God and we were conscious of that, amen, that's what he's praying for them. He said that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Praise God. And again, his emphasis here in this prayer is on love. His emphasis is that they'd be rooted and grounded in love. His emphasis is, is praying for them that they would know the, the love of Christ. There's a lot of things about, about Jesus, about Christ that, that we need to know and could know. But he said, above all else, he said, I want you to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Paul wrote again to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 8. He says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Right? 1 Corinthians 13, he wrote to them, you know, I may have knowledge and, and all of these things, but if I don't have love, I don't have any of it. And he said, these three, three things abide, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is what? It's love. Amen. So it's a prayer to be rooted and grounded in love. It's a prayer to know the love of Christ that passes, to know how much God loves you and to, and to have that love in you flowing out of you and uh, flowing out of us to other people. Amen. Flowing out of us to our family members as he talks about, as he gets into chapter 5 and talks about marriage and family. Uh, our love flowing between us as believers and then, and then the compassion, love of God flowing out of us to the world, to those that, that need to know him. Amen. Praise God. And then, he, and then he concludes it in verse 20 here. He says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. He said, I'm praying this, but <laughs> he said, I know that God's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I could even ask or think. How? According to the power that works in us. According to the power that works in us. To Him be glory. This is amazing. Uh, the, more I, the more I read this and pray this, I'm, I'm struck by this. To Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations. This is a, this is a, a this prayer that He prayed. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit, obviously, to pray it. He didn't just pray it for the for the Ephesian believers back there in 62 or 63 A.D. <laughs> but in this statement right, right here, he says, To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations. And it reached all the way down here to 2024 to us today. Hallelujah. To all generations forever and ever. Amen. Man, what a, what a prayer. What a, what a, what a large scope. Uh, that, that that prayer encompasses when he adds that into it. And so here's the way, put, put the, keep that up there for a second, Mike. Here's the way I pray it when I, when I pray for you. I pray, I pray this prayer over us, over you, and over us, over our church family. And I, and I conclude it with this. I said, to you, Lord, be glory in city on a hill church. Well, it's the church, so we're part of the church. We're a, we're a segment He's praying for the whole church, the whole body of Christ, but I'm praying it for our church family. Lord, may you be glorified in City on a Hill Church by Christ Jesus in this generation. If it's to all generations, well, certainly it's to this one, right? So that's how I pray it when I, when I pray it over you. Praise God. So let's do as we, as we uh, uh, wrap this up. Why don't we pray these prayers over ourselves right now? I'm just going to lead you. Uh, in, uh, in praying the Ephesians 1 prayer and the Ephesians 3 prayer. And we'll just pray them over ourselves, all right? So just pray this, pray this after me. Heavenly Father, I pray that you, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to me 
the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. The eyes of my understanding being enlightened that I may know what is the hope of your calling. What are the riches of the glory of your inheritance and the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of your power toward me who believes according to the working of your mighty power, which you worked in Christ when you raised him from the dead and seated him at your right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And you put all things under his feet and you gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. I am in the church. I am part of the body of Christ. So all things, principalities and powers are under my feet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, let's skip over to the, the last one here, the, the one in chapter 3. Father, I pray that you would grant me according to the riches of your glory to be strengthened with might through your spirit in my inner man that Christ may dwell in my heart through faith that I, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that I may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen. Amen. Praise God.